Chapter Six of the Apostle of Alaska: The Story of William Duncan of Metlakatla by John W. Arctander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. The Inside Passage. Victoria, now one of the most beautiful and interesting cities on the Pacific Coast, located on a rock-strewn inlet near the southeastern extremity of the magnificent Vancouver Island which for a distance of nearly three hundred miles skirts the west coast of british columbia was when mr duncan first landed there an insignificant hamlet with less than two hundred inhabitants but nevertheless possessed of some importance partly because it was practically the only white settlement north of the straits of juan de fuca but especially because here was located the headquarters for the great northwest territory of the powerful hudson's bay company at the fort in victoria duncan was officially received by the governor of the company sir james douglas one of the truly great men of western canada in order to allow him to begin his work at fort simpson it was necessary to secure the consent of this autocrat of the coast without that he would not even be accepted as a passenger on the company's steamer then the only means of communication between the northland and civilization this consent the governor was loath to give he insisted that the society had done a positive wrong in sending a missionary to the indians without first consulting the company's officers inasmuch as they were the only ones who knew and appreciated the true condition of things if i should allow you to go to fort simpson it would be just the same as to send you to your certain death this company cannot undertake to be responsible for your safety under the circumstances and does not want to become a party to your murder why not remain here we have thousands of indians near victoria who need a missionary and we will give you all the aid in our power if you will direct your efforts toward their conversion and civilization the trouble is mr governor that i am sent to fort simpson and to fort simpson i must go if i cannot go there i must return unless you can secure from the society a change in my orders which i do not think you can and to tell you the truth i would not myself very much favor any such action but young man knowing the situation as i do i feel sure you will not last up there three months it is all your life is worth to go among those savages and bloodthirsty indians you will do no good but you will make us eternally regret it if anything should happen to you which it most certainly will when mr duncan insisted that he must nevertheless go and stated that all he desired was permission to stay in the fort until he had learned the language after which time he would go out and shift for himself without any responsibility for his safety on the part of the company the governor finally yielded with this remark well young man if you are to be killed and eaten i suppose you are the one most vitally interested after all and we will have to take a back seat the governor who could not fail to appreciate the pluck courage and determination of the young missionary from that moment became his staunch friend and in after years on more than one occasion gave valuable proofs of his appreciation of mr duncan's wonderful work but victoria was nearly six hundred miles from fort simpson and the steamer which went north only twice a year in the spring and autumn had but a short time before started for the northland there was therefore nothing for mr duncan to do but to remain in victoria for the next three or four months 
this time he spent by invitation at the rectory of christ's church with the rev edward cridge who some years before had come out from england as chaplain to the fort accompanied by his young and amiable wife young duncan during this enforced vacation became the leader and instructor of the young ladies choir of the church and also conducted services for mr cridge every sunday afternoon in a small settlement some miles from the village he immediately proceeded to make himself familiar with the chinook language a trading jargon invented by one of the company's agents to enable to some limited extent interchange of ideas with the different indians of the coast who all spoke different tongues later on he managed to find a Timsian indian who came to him an hour every day and from him he began to acquire some knowledge of the language of the tribes among whom he was to work but in a few weeks this indian was off for his home and the lessons were interrupted he arrived at fort simpson a month or two before duncan and told the indians about his intended coming assuring them that they would like him as he was their friend and in this way to some extent prepared the way for duncan though he himself never lived to see the wonderful change which was to come over his people as he died within a month after the arrival of mr duncan at the fort from a gunshot wound received during a drunken brawl the enforced delay was anything but pleasing to mr duncan but even that proved to be of great benefit to him in the future while in victoria his inviting and frank manner and his earnest christian zeal gained him the brotherly love and warm friendship of rector later bishop cridge and also the esteem of the hon w j macdonald who some years later was appointed life senator of the dominion senate at ottawa from the new province of british columbia the friendship of these two men in his coming hour of trial and tribulation proved to him the greatest boon which he possibly could have obtained god only knows where he would have been to-day and what would have become of the permanent fruits of his life work had it not been for the support and strength which these god-fearing men standing high in the councils of the province and the nation so unstintedly gave to him in his hour of sorest need finally the hour of release came on the twenty-fifth day of september eighteen fifty seven he bade his many new-found friends in victoria a cordial farewell as he was about to speed northward and westward on the company steamer the otter and now there was in store for him a wonderful treat for five days he sailed through the inlets and fjords passages reaches and channels the one more beautiful and wonderful than the other where the shifting scenery in its solitary grandeur enchanted the eye and charmed the soul from earliest morn to the latest dusk the first day out it looked as though the steamer was running right ashore suddenly just as the prow almost touched the rocks an inlet opened to the right the helm was swung hard starboard and the vessel slipped in as between the hugging banks of a river then with just as sudden a turn to port through the swirls and tide ripples of active pass out into the gulf of georgia where in the wide sapphire blue expanse between the snow-clad peaks of vancouver island and the distant selkirk range on the mainland he could occupy his time all day long by watching the antics of playing and spouting whales now the ship enters discovery passage narrow dangerous though interesting especially so near its centre the renowned seymour narrows or yakulta as the natives call them the home of the evil spirits 
where the tide races through at a speed varying from eight to twelve knots an hour many a ship has here been caught in the swirling currents and hurled against the knife-edged reef in the centre of the channel only to sink with all on board into the depths of over one hundred fathoms close by no ship at that time dare pass through these dreaded narrows the maelstrom of the northwest coast except on a slack tide and in full daylight and even to the present day the largest steamers dread the seymour narrows and tremble in the embrace of the giant current and the tide ripples as if they were alive and throbbing with fear at cape mudge the young missionary saw the first totem pole the strange carved monument peculiar to the north coast indians but some distance farther on a more horrible sight awaited him as the steamer approached fort rupert at the northeast end of vancouver island dismembered and disemboweled human bodies were seen strewn all over the beach of a nearby island a few days before a haida canoe had come to trade with the fort rupert indians some slight breach of etiquette on the part of the visitors brought on their devoted heads the rage of the local indians they said nothing at the time save to nurse their wrath but when the time for departure came a large party had preceded the haidas laid in wait for them at an island near the fort where they knew they would camp for the night and killed every one in the party except two young men one of them the son of a haida chief who were made slaves and there the dead bodies mangled and mutilated were allowed to lie scattered over the beaches of the passage as a proof of the prowess of the slayers this was not a very encouraging sight to meet the eye of the young missionary enough perhaps to make many a weak-hearted man turn back in fear and disgust but not so our young man this one thing i do his eyes said it is well that we are soon in queen charlotte sound where the swell of the great north pacific and the storms of this misnamed ocean can brush from our disgusted brows the memories of cruel bloodshed as the steamer for a distance of thirty miles is passing in the open with no protection from the mountainous isles of the columbian archipelago but before long the ship steers by a mountain crag nearly four thousand feet in height into what looks like a mighty smooth river running between mountain banks the fitzhugh sound then it turns to the west through the beautifully wooded way called lama passage then through the narrow confines of plumper channel and after a few miles sail in the open again the way goes by the quaint-looking china hat past its indian village and phantom-like graveyard through finlayson's channel then we pass into tomi channel where the throbbing of the engine echoes back from the nearby mountain cliffs and into the highish narrows where the pines on the slope seem to elongate themselves down in the mirror-like waters and where the wash of the waves from the steamer against the shores not farther away on either side than one could toss a biscuit awakens the slumbering eagles who have rested on the topmost branches of the highest trees and now soar in daring flight towards the azure heavens above then the reaches fraser graham and mackay one more beautiful and enchanting than the other the steep forest-clad mountain ranges hardly a quarter of a mile apart the deep still waterways the snow-clad crags the tracks of snow-slides and of rock-slides the hanging valleys and the noisy waterfalls sometimes dancing down from the very highest peaks for thousands of feet in one uninterrupted leap in their turn each appeal to the eye 
and then there is the wonderful grenville channel perhaps the most magnificent of them all where for nearly fifty miles one course is held without change and the ship glides almost noiselessly through the glassy sea and past a panoramic splendor which finds adequate expression only in the use of the most extravagant superlatives such is the wonderful inside passage of the northwest coast where the largest ships of the world can safely pass and the grandest scenery on the globe throws open at every turn its shifting vistas to the wondering and admiring gaze of all who have been fortunate enough to obtain an admission ticket to this god's own show-place where man has done nothing and nature everything where nature's god speaks to the heart in the strange beauty of the great solitude the nirwana of the wonderful northland we do not wonder that sailing through this magnificent and majestic scenery our young missionary read the wonderful handwriting of the master of the sea and sky and land it was in the black darkness of a northern winter night on the first of october eighteen fifty seven that the otter dropped anchor outside fort simpson the whistle of the steamer created a stir in the fort and in the huts of the indians on the beach as well the first sight which duncan obtained of his future charges was in the glare of firebrands running back and forth on the beach with the captain and the representative of the company he was admitted to the fort soon after the arrival of the steamer for a social call but as no quarters had been provided for him he returned to the steamer for the night we can rest assured that tired though he was he did not before seeking his couch that night forget to kneel down and implore the almighty's blessing on the work he had come to do in his name and by his grace End of chapter six